Welcome to today's episode of the Design Leadership Podcast, where we will be speaking with Jürgen Jacobs. Jürgen is currently the Chief Growth Officer at FlexCon and has a 25 plus years extensive experience in various design, marketing, and innovation leadership roles. Jürgen has worked with some prominent global leading companies and brands, including Whirlpool Corporation, Velcro Companies, and Shark Ninja. Welcome to the Design Leadership Podcast, where we're speaking with Jürgen Jakobs, who's going to share his insights and experiences along his very fruitful and exciting career journey in design leadership. Jürgen, welcome to the show. Jay, I'm glad to be here. Great. So we just want to start with a little general introduction, and we'll learn more about your role and experiences. But just curious, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to your current role today? Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, so, um, you know, you hear it in my accent. Uh, I'm Dutch and I studied industrial design in Holland. Worked as an industrial designer for about seven years in Switzerland, working for a company producing telephones, uh, ticket vending machines, mailing systems. And we worked as an in house design agency. So, we worked for an in house design department. So, about 60% of our projects were for the company I worked for at the time, ASCOM. And 40% was actually, we were offering our design services to external companies. So we designed the, uh, the first Eura coffee machines. We designed the telephones for Bang & Olufsen. We did Avalanche, uh, victim searching devices. So all kind of like, you know, different uh, array of, of products. But it was interesting because it kept you kind of like, you know, uh, focused also like on other aspects of the business and not just only on the inside, the inside world of that company. So the interesting thing of like you know, being an in-house design department, but also working for external uh, customers, it kind of like shows you got more respect within, the, within your own company. Because if other companies are willing to pay for your services, maybe then they might not be that bad. Um, because somehow it always seems more interesting to see that what is outside of the company than what does you actually have within the company. So that was an interesting way. But for me, it's just like, um, you know, then I, I moved into marketing role, uh, did the MBA, moved into a marketing role. I think anyway, we're going after it's kind of like on the career journey, no, or not? Uh, still just about your background and the kind of your, your journey to where you are today. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so I started this design seven years uh, in Switzerland as a, as a product designer, did my MBA one year full time. And then wrote my thesis at, uh, at Whirlpool. Then I stayed six years at Whirlpool in uh, brand strategy, brand management roles, innovation, and also account management for about six years. Then I switched over to a packaging company uh, responsible for marketing and R&D. It was a company, French company and, a, and a, an English company. They merged together. So it was integrating two marketing departments, integrating two R&D departments, and also consolidating a, uh, two different product portfolios into one, as well as uh, writing a three-year strategic plan. I did it for about two years. Then I was recruited uh, by a company called Velcro and headed up their marketing, business development, and R&D roles. And uh, was there for about nine years, uh, left that company and joined for a short period uh, Shark Ninja, uh, Shark Ninja is a big household brand in the in the U.S. Responsible for all marketing activities for the Shark brand, uh, vacuum cleaners mainly. And I joined one year ago uh, Flexcon as the 
in the role of uh, the chief growth officer, which just means that I support marketing, R&D, uh, customer experience, and sales. Might be a bit of a weird kind of like background about how I get there, but I think we get, you know, where I got, how I got there and why I got there, uh, I think we will be addressed a bit later. Yeah, so really interesting background. We, uh, we go back some years ourselves and I've, I've seen the, the journey. <laughs> you mentioned getting an MBA and uh, transitioning from design to, let's say, marketing and, and the business. Uh, looking back at your career journey, is there any key moments or memories that stand out as a catalyst in, in defining your career journey or, or maybe a, a movement from one to the other? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I mean, first of all, I was, I was super lucky with you know, where I ended up when I got my first job. So when I, when I was looking for a, a company where I could write my thesis for industrial design, I um, ended up at a company called Ascom. And there was a small design team of only four, four people. Right at the time when I wrote my thesis within that department, they became responsible for driving all design activities for the entire company. Before that, it was just only responsible for uh, designing the, the telephones. Ascom at that time was a, was a multi-industrial conglomerate and they were making like a lot of difference. They had a lot of facilities all around the world. And we became responsible for driving all the design activities for the, for the, for the, the whole company. So they needed people. I was there already. I had nothing else to do anyway. So, you know, I joined that team. But it was quite amazing because they had a, a very inspirational leader and they had a great reputation. It was based in Switzerland. Uh, we made the products mostly in Switzerland. And then, you know, we worked for, you know, Oscom. So, for example, you know, all the products, all the telephones at that time you would buy from Deutsche Telekom were all designed by Oscom, were all designed by us, right? Then getting Bang & Olufsen as a customer, then getting Eura coffee machines as a customer, right? We had Mammoth, the, 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 the outdoor brand. We made appliances for them or devices, electronic devices for them. So we got this... You know, just coming from, you know, university and being part of such a small team, but actually working on such immense big brands and, and, and products, which, are, you know, those telephones, we, we made millions of them, right, at that time, which was like just an amazing experience. So there was definitely a, a big part of luck being at the right time at the right spot, uh, for sure. Um, but the interesting thing for me was we were... You know, you had every year, because the main business for us was telephones. And then at that time, you had the CBIT, which was the world's wide biggest uh, trade fair in the world around electronics. And it was always in Hanover. It was also always like uh, at the same time as the EF Design Awards. EF Design Awards ceremony was always combined with the CBIT uh, exhibition. So what was interesting was that you had marketing coming literally to your desk, and they said like, hey, we have the, the CBIT exhibition is in six months from now and we need to show a new telephone. Can you quickly make a new telephone? Can you draw us a new telephone, right? And, then you said, and they would literally stand next to your desk and just wait for you to make an amazing drawing of what the next telephone would look like. And, you know, so then you were like, well, we, we need a little bit more information, right? So first of all, is there new technology we're trying to, to sell? Is there, you know, are we going to position ourselves different you know, are we going after different target audience? And they would say like, no, I mean, anybody, we want to sell those products to everybody, right? And I said like, okay, so where are we going to sell it? So who are we up against? Who is next, next to us on the shelf, right? And so I had all those questions you would ask because, you know, I mean, you need a lot of data points to decide to create what kind of product are you going to design or why are you actually going to make a new design? The thing was, for them, it was like, if we don't show something new, 
the, at the trade show, we're becoming, you know, in you know, you know, you're not important anymore, right? So you need to come up with something new. But there was no plan, there was no strategy, and that's where I was kind of like, you know, those guys in marketing, they have absolutely no clue, and. At the same time, I wanted to be more involved in the strategy of the company. So instead of having somebody telling me what to design, I actually wanted to decide what we needed to design. And that's why I decided to say, like, you know, maybe I'm still young. You know, I was still in my 20s, seven years uh, of, of working as a designer uh, globally, but based in Switzerland, won a lot of design awards. So I was kind of like, maybe this is a good time to expand my horizon and, and, and add an additional study. So that's why I studied my, my master's in business administration, so the MBA, really focusing on international marketing and marketing strategy. Uh, so I did that one year full time to really understand what it would be to be on the other side. Now, so then I went to, uh, I wrote my thesis at uh, Whirlpool in Italy on, the, on the, one of their German brands, Bauknecht. And there was... That was quite interesting. First of all, for me, it was interesting to see that, you know, how it is to be actually on the other side, right? To be on the, on the, on the marketing side. So anyway, so I wrote my thesis at, at, at uh, Whirlpool uh, on their Bautnet brands. It's one of the German brands. And once, when, I was, when, I was, when I finished my uh, thesis, I came up with 10 recommendations, you know, they should implement to achieve kind of like their revenue and growth goals for the, for the Bautnet brand. Because those big organizations, they turn, you know, people around uh, cross-functionally all the time. They ask me if, like, you know, if I would be interesting, actually, you know, just instead of, like, writing those 10 recommendations, if I would actually be interested in deploying those 10 recommendations and if I wanted to become the, the brand manager for Bauknet brand in Europe. And, of course, I said, yes, nothing else to do anyway. And Italy is not a bad place to be. And Whirlpool sounds like a really great company. So I did that for about nine months, and then they asked me to do the same also for the for the Whirlpool brand, and it's really and that was really all about you know how do you reposition your brand based on the financial targets you want to go after. What was also really interesting is as a designer, it is really helpful. You you have a couple you have a couple of skills that are for me personally I think amazing for people either in strategy roles or marketing roles. One of that is, of course, like, you know, we're pretty good in visualization of ideas, right? And if you can visualize your ideas, it's not about a PowerPoint presentation with numbers. It's not about crazy narratives. It's actually showing what you want this company, this product, this brand, this vision actually to be, right? It really helps to communicate. Plus, you have, you know, the whole kind of like what people call design thinking it's just a different, different way of problem solving uh, you use. It's less linear and it's way more experimental. And I think that also really helps for strategy development. And it's also less in a silo. As a, as a designer, we love to bounce off ideas of like, you know, um, different parties. Like, what do you think about this? What are your opinion of that? You know, I mean, there's, there's so much cross-fertilization happening in the design process. And if you do that from a strategic or company strategy development perspective, it becomes a much more coherent strategy and a strategy that's much more supported by the rest of the organization. So I think that, you know, that, that really helped me a lot to understand, you know, how design actually can really help to drive strategy within organizations. And that could be uh, consumer businesses, but also B2B businesses. In the end, actually, it doesn't really, it doesn't even really matter. What I was always most excited about was creating a customer experience. 
And I started my career creating customer experience by de developing products. What you get after that, when you get more in a strategy, you actually go like, okay, what do we want the customer experience to be for us as a company, for us as a brand? And then you start really thinking about, you know, how are we going to impact all the different touch points? And how are we going to make sure that all the different touch points are consistent, right? And how do I make sure that all of those consistent touch points are going to be amazing? And that's really where as a designer, if you can visualize that, and if you can get the, 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 all the folks on board, that's where you really can make a gigantic input in the, or impact on the organization. And yeah, so for me, what was, what was kind of like, you know, some of the uh, defining moments in my career, the first one was really like, you know, talking with marketing and actually realizing that they had no idea what they were talking about and deciding to actually see what it means to be on the other side, right? What you also have to realize, though, is that when I was in design, I was the uh, representative head of the, the design department, you know, very young, but I was the, the second in command. When I went to Whirlpool and then you go into brand management, you go suddenly from a director level, you go suddenly to, you know, junior brand management level again, because who am I to say that I, just because I once were in a leadership position, didn't mean that I had the experience in a complete new field to actually become a director at that time as well. I mean, you had to learn it from the, from the bottom up. And that was, I mean, that's definitely not easy because suddenly, you know, being part of the leadership team and then suddenly you're not part of the leadership team anymore, but because you changed the direction pretty significantly, you have to be humble and you have to be able to learn and believe in yourself and then work yourself up just like you did before. Right. And that's what I did, especially at Whirlpool. And then, you know, after that, because Whirlpool, of course, a big organization. And then after that, when I went to uh, the packaging company, which was a smaller organization, still a multi-billion dollar company, but a smaller one than Whirlpool, it's amazing how much you can actually achieve at a smaller organization if you use some of the tools and insights you've learned at the big, big organizations. So that, that was another kind of like defining moment where you, you know, you, you learn a lot. In big companies, you can learn a lot. It's like for me, the whole time at Whirlpool was a continuation of, of, of my MBA. Then moving to a smaller organization, it's just amazing what you can actually do when you use some of the tools and actually really execute on them. And it's not just to fill your rooms. Yeah, so I would say uh, maybe very um, obvious advice, but I think key advice, as you just mentioned, is to be humble and to learn and uh, take all those experiences and learn from them. You know, you mentioned back with your first role uh, in, the, in the design function of kind of challenging marketing. And I know this was some years ago. And today we've come a long way, but I think we're still uh, at that debate of, uh, you know, design for business. What do designers know? Uh, is it just, uh, you know, arts and crafts or is it really strategy? And we've come a long way, but I still that, uh, I feel there's still a big gap. So I guess the two questions is, uh, well, maybe obvious what inspired you to go and get the MBA, but uh, how influential, how valuable do you feel that it is to have that MBA, of course, the knowledge, but maybe also the piece of paper to, to be recognized by marketing and business peers that you're able to kind of, you know, talk the talk on that side. So what's the thoughts around MBAs and, 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 and using that to catalyst a career growth? Yeah, I mean, for me, so I think the MBA, it will be different for a lot of people because in the end, you know, you can have the best education. If you don't do anything with it, then nothing will happen. And it's amazing how many people have built crazy great careers without any education, right? So it's, it's not a guarantee for success at all. And, and for me, the only reason why I did my MBA is just because I really wanted to understand business strategy better and what it means to actually run a business, right? 
when I was in design and we had our quarterly updates with the management and you had town hall meetings and they went through the P&L and revenue results and net margin results and inventory turns and you look at all the KPIs. The only thing I was thinking of is like, you know, wow, did the rendering I just started, will it be finished by now? Because when I go back to my office, can I actually look at the new design or do I have to still wait? This is going back more than 25 years and you had to wait overnight till the rendering actually actually uh, happened, right? So I had absolutely no, no interest because I didn't understand the importance of finance and all the other functions within, within the organization. I only cared about creating amazing products and an amazing customer experiences. But once I showed interest that I wanted to be more involved in the strategy, it was kind of like, yeah, but you mean you guys make great drawings, Why? Right? I mean, leave the strategy to us and you guys can continue to make the nice drawings, right? And that's where I realized, you know, I mean, I'm not going to, nobody's going to hire a opportunistic designer to start developing strategies and, 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 and give him a, a, a marketing role, right? And so that's why I said, like, okay, you know, maybe it's a good, Maybe it's a good way to actually do your MBA. Now, there were a lot of people, a lot of friends in my MBA where, you know, they did business before, right? So for them, it's kind of like, it's a continuation of what they did already. For me, it was kind of like, holy shit moments, especially the first weeks when you had two weeks of only finance and accounting, right? You know, industrial design, you don't learn finance. We don't get accounting, right? We don't get HR. We don't get operations, you know, all those topics. That's those are not covered in an engineering degree, right? So that was really eye-opening. I mean, for me, that everything you learned there was just like new and was really amazing. Plus, you know, it was, it was a great experience just from a people perspective because we were 50 students from 18 different countries and it was like, you know, great team building and you could learn a lot from each other being one year, you know, working on the MBA. So that was, that was really great. So... For me, it definitely helped. I mean, I would not have the job at Whirlpool if it wouldn't be for the MBA, right? And I'm pretty sure I would not have had some of the leadership roles if I wouldn't have had at least the paper that got me into the door. Afterwards, you have to prove yourself. I mean, the MBA is not a guarantee for success. You have to do it yourself. You have to prove, you have to work, you have to deliver. I mean, all those things you need to continue doing and you need to continue to learn. But it definitely allowed me to get in. It's the same with design. Um, you know, design, where I come from in Holland, it's, it's a protected profession. You know, you can't call yourself a designer if you don't have a degree in any form of design. So, you know, if you want to be a product designer, you have to have a product design uh, degree. Otherwise, you can't do it. It's the same if you want to become a doctor. You know, it would be very handy if you actually study medicine because otherwise you can't call yourself a medical doctor, right? So that's the same for design, and for me, it was the same with MBA. It's like, if you want to become a business manager and you want to be included in the strategy discussions, then you have to get your, your ticket to join, to join the club. But then once you're in, you have to prove yourself, obviously. Well, fast forward some 25 years later, I think you're at the, the pinnacle of, let's say, a strategic positioning. So you now have a, a CTO role. Uh, chief growth officer for a private family company in the Boston area. And uh, curious to know a little bit about that role, what that entails, maybe a little bit about the company for the listeners that are not familiar, and just your thoughts around CGOs uh, in general. I know it's still kind of a new emerging uh, discipline. Uh, we see other industries where it's uh, sometimes replacing marketing and CMO roles. But um, yeah, if we can dig a little bit into your, your current role 
and, and what that entails and, and, and how design is helping to, to still further that along. Yeah, so one thing to, to, to pedal back a little bit is like, there are also different um, definitions of marketing, right? There are people who think marketing is communications and that's it. There are other people who think marketing is product management, management and that's it. And then there are uh, companies who actually think that marketing is responsible for writing the five-year strategic plan, right? It's how you define what marketing is. I've been lucky that the marketing roles I've been in always have been around setting the strategy. You know, if it would have been just marketing communications, that's one aspect of marketing. It's not what, for me, marketing is all about, right? And so that's, so I want to keep that in mind because, you know, when I uh, was responsible for marketing at a packaging company or, you know, head of marketing and innovation for, uh, for Velcro, it's, it was always marketing, it was always R&D, and when we talk about marketing, it's marketing communications, product marketing, uh, strategic marketing, it was business development, account management, and R&D. So those roles, especially in the B2B organization, to combine those into one, uh, it's very helpful because you set strategy, but you're also responsible to deliver against the strategy, right? So that's... That's just one, one thing I just quickly wanted to point out because there are different kind of like marketing roles. And if you define marketing and you see the roles I was in in the past, that is kind of like what people today would actually call a CGO, which is a chief growth officer. Because if marketing is responsible for writing the five-year strategic plan or three-year strategic plan or whatever you know, time frame you want to add to it, then that automatically means you know, you're not writing a strategic plan to not grow your business, right? The whole plan is like visualize you know, decide where you want to grow and why and what then needs to be true to make that happen. And that brings me back, back to where, you know, the company I'm working for now, Flexcon, which is a privately held company over 60 years in business. What they mainly do is actually uh, laminating films, adhesives. Big chunk of their business is making materials for labels, uh, shampoo bottle labels, beer bottle labels, but it's also a lot for out-of-home advertisements. Uh, if you have big events, floor graphics right now, obviously a hot topic with social distancing, curbside pickup, you know, all the stickers you find on the floor, you know, those materials we make. But it goes as far as that we make a solar array films for satellites used by NASA, right? So that's very, very, very specific, high-tech, kind of like technical solutions. The challenge the company has where I am right now is that they, they have been, it's a big company, it's a very healthy company, but they have been flat for the last 25 years. So literally 25 years was the first time when they reached the revenue level we're at right now. You know, some years we were more, some years we had less revenue, but in the end we're right now where we are. And, you know, the company, they want to grow, not because they want to grow, because they want to achieve more revenue, they want to grow because they want to have a, a larger impact on the environment and on the communities we operate in. This is a family-owned business. The family doesn't necessarily care about the value of the company. What they care about is their employees. How do we secure a future for our employees? How do we provide them a way to self-fulfillment? But also, you know, we are in the plastics industry, which is not necessarily the, the most environmental sustainable industry to be in. We are pretty much, you know, some of the, the culprits in the whole story in the supply chain and in the, in the environmental space. But we want to change that, right? So there are a lot of things we can do to change that. 
use less material, come up with new technologies that could be uh, easier, you know, facilitate easier recycling, but also like, you know, decom uh, decomposable materials. And it's not only those materials we want to develop, we also want to look at like, how can we improve lives? So how can we either improve uh, manufacturing processes? How can we improve a customer experience with a product? And, you know, obviously with the healthcare space, it's kind of like, you know, how can we make a big impact on, you know, improving people's lives when it comes to health, beauty, all those, those areas. The thing is that they, you know, the reason why they, they, they hired me is because they, they wanted to grow, but they didn't know where and how to do that and what needs to happen to actually make, to actually get it to the next level. And that is kind of like, you know, what we are right now. And I've seen this at Velcro, it was exactly the same. These are companies, and you see that with a lot of B2B companies and even companies who are like around for 50, 60, 70 years, they very often are incredibly well positioned to serve their existing customer base really well. So they're all set up to really serve their customers. So customers, and they're all very reactive. So customers would come with a problem and they would put teams on it, cross-functional teams to solve the problem. Either they solve it or not. If they solve it and the customer is happy with it, they buy and the company is happy because we just have a sale and we just solved the problem for one of our customers. The thing is, they've never created the muscle to actually launch products into the market, right? But to do that, you have to first try to understand how do I even define the market, right? And what you see, and I've seen that with the three last companies I was with, is that they didn't even have a market view about how they looked at their business. It was an internal view about, okay, these are our capabilities and let's talk about our capabilities. It's not about, hey, we want to play in a packaging world and these are the typical uh, customers that use our, our materials. These are the typical problems they have. These are some of the technologies and capabilities we have. And we know we understand our competitors within that market segment so we can understand how can we differentiate ourselves position ourselves different come up with a story why they should buy from us and not from the others and then bring it to the market and talk the language of those different market segments if you don't understand the markets you want to go after you're going to be opportunistic every time because you're just going to follow your customers and you're not going to lead markets right so one thing and we did it at, at, at Velcro, we're going to do it now at FlexCon as well, is to really understand who are actually the customers we're serving. So which markets do they represent? And then how do you cluster those markets? So let's say, how do we define like five or six market segments? And how are we then going to develop strategies that will allow us to grow? Not just to grow because we want to chase revenue, but to grow because we want to have a, a larger impact on the, on, the, on the communities we operate in. Yeah, wow. So it sounds like uh, a lot going on, which it is. So as a growth officer, you've, you've got a lot of responsibility. I know uh, uh, marketing and R&D, innovation, uh, supply chain, et cetera. So where does design fit into the mix, whether implicitly or explicitly, uh, as you kind of uh, pull those different levers across the organization? Yeah, so, so here's actually the interesting thing, because for me, it's kind of like, how do we even de define design? Right? What is the definition? It's kind of like, you know, sometimes I think it's kind of like an overused word and people don't necessarily really understand it because you have different disciplines within design, right? You have product design, you have graphic design, you have customer experience design. It's like you have all those different, you know, it's, it's user interface design. It's like, you know, the, the, you can just like name it and name it. When I started design, all those different subjects, they didn't exist. 
what we had was you had product design and then you had architecture. That was kind of like what it was. And you had graphic design. These were mainly the, the, the three kind of like creative, creating professions which were around. Nowadays, of course, it's like all over the place, right? You, you even have people doing food design. So it's, I think it's really the, the, depending on how you want to de de define the, the role of design and, and, and what design means. For me, design is all about creating the customer experience and being consistent. And that could be, you know, the way what the, your offices look like, the way you sell your products, whether it's an in-store uh, shop-in-shop concept, or you have your, your, your own stores. It's the way your products are packed. It's your, your product design. It's the product experience. It's the out-of-box experience. It's the user manual. It's the after-sales service, right? It's the website. It's like everything plays a role, right? Everything is contributing to how people experience your brand and your company. And for me, that whole experience is designed. And there are different folks within the organization who are then, you know, or, you know, should be responsible of managing the aspects of those different design functions. Now, the, the role of design at FlexCon is, is, is not defined. I mean, we're, we're really not there yet. What we're doing right now, I mean, what it helps me is to actually use my own design skills to show the organization what, what you know, what we could be if we would change some of the things we are doing today, right? So what you do is, it's, it's just, in the beginning, it's just like literally visualizing, right? So you can visualize the world. If we want to go after healthcare, what does the healthcare market look like? And what should we look like if we want to be, you know, being recognized and acknowledged within that market segment? If we want to go into construction, what does the construction world look like? So how do some of the key customers we want to go after, how do they present themselves? And how do some of our competitors talk about it? So you start creating those mood boards for all of those different markets, transportation, a whole different mood board, very different when you talk about electronics, right? So you have those different market segments and you try to visualize what the world of those different markets actually look like. And then you start thinking about, okay, and then you look at like, what do we have today? And how does that fit in into the market we want to go after, right? And then you can immediately see like, well, that's a huge discrepancy because, you know, we're not using the same language. We're not using the same imagery. We're actually not using any of that. I mean, and we're somehow, we don't stand out. People can't recognize us, right? So then you start thinking like, okay, so what should we do? What should we, how can we then stand out? How can we present ourselves in a different way? So even if we don't necessarily design products, it will be all about, you know, how do we design the experience, which is, it's going to be in the beginning, it's just going to be kind of like a brand logo, color scheme, you know, telling the story uh, development. The second part where you want to go to, and that's, that will be the level two of design, is how are you going to create a much broader experience? So that's going to be like, you know, how do we, how is design and designing the office going to change the culture, right? So if we want to create a specific culture, how is office design and the way how it's set up, the furniture, the way how we communicate, the way how you go generate ideas, you know, how, how are you going to create a space and an environment that's really going to support who you want to be as an organization? And the third step for me is if you want to really grow and you want to be adding value to your end users, you need to really understand the markets or the customers for your 
from your customers really well. And you know, just just an example of like you know what we did, uh, you know, at Velpro, one of our biggest single applications were diaper closures, right? And you know, the the big players in the diaper closure market, the PNGs and the Kimberly Clarks and the first qualities, they would come to us and they said like what is the diaper closure in five years going to be look like? And we would say like, well, we don't know. I mean, you normally tell us what you're looking for and then we develop it for you, right? You want something softer, you want something more suited, uh, some, something more flexible, you know, then we would make it for you. But, you know, we, we actually don't know. And they said like, but you guys are the, the fastener experts. Don't you have a pipeline and ideas what you think the fastening solutions in the future will look like? And that's when I went to my team and said, like, you know, what we need to do actually is understand the world of the diapers and understand what all the pain points are in the world of diapers. So really go to customers, to end users, to, you know, young families and observe them when they interact with a diaper. Look at the whole life cycle, right? Where do they buy? What are the decisions they make when they buy a certain product? How do they take it home? How do they open the pack, you know, how do they open it? How do they take the diaper out of the pack? How do they open the pack, the diaper? How do they apply the diaper to the, to the baby? How do they check in between if the diaper is full, yes or no? And when it's full, how do you dispose of the diaper, right? So you look at all the different aspects and then you start thinking about, okay, knowing all the different pain points, if we had to design a diaper from scratch, what would that diaper actually look like? So we started designing diapers and we came up with like 12 different innovations within the diaper design that really we think based on our insights of the customers, what we think you know, um, the diaper of the future should look like. Of course, then afterwards we look at like, okay, and what role could we play in that, right? I mean, uh, is there a different closure system and could we add, or are there different materials we could develop? It's not only the closure system, but we could also you know, do material innovation. Once we then started presenting our insights and our design ideas and then material innovations or technical innovations to the PNGs and the Kimberly Clarks, that suddenly completely opened their eyes because suddenly they were like, wow, you guys, I mean, we've never seen this on a supplier. We've never actually had a supplier coming to us with a redesign of a diaper and a great story around that. And then saying like, this is how we can help you to achieve your goals. Right. Suddenly we got a table, a seat on the table when they were talking product strategies and when they were talking about their product pipelines, suddenly they wanted us to be part of that because we showed interest in their customers and we showed what kind of value we could bring. And that is for me what design is all about. It's not, you know, we didn't design, you know, I don't necessarily get very excited when I have to design a new polymer. But if I think about, you know, what is the solution or what is the customer experience we can create and then how can we contribute to, you know, to achieve and to make that a reality, that is something I can get really excited about, right? And to visualize what, how your materials can help the custom experience your customers are using in the B2B space, I think that's gonna be a critical contribution of design and the role design can play within the company and, and de developing the company strategy, product roadmap, storytelling, all those different aspects. Yeah, absolutely. So it's great to hear from you and seeing this in practice, because uh, as we said earlier, you know, design is ultimately the visualizer, uh, the arts and crafts, the decoration station, as most people see it as. But using those simple 
um, let's say simple, but uh, those uh, unique characteristics to apply it on the front end, right? Uh, storytelling, scenarios, visualizations, et cetera. And even though you were making diaper closures, it's great that you moved in that direction because as we always advise our clients in any industry, are you working on the concept car approach, right? What is the future of your industry? And are you inventing that or are you waiting for others and being a fast follower, et cetera? So super exciting to hear, um, you know, the journey and how you're using design in, in the current role, uh, even though it's uh, part of a, of a great mix of many other factors for success. Speaking of design, and you hit it yourself on the head earlier because the, the question is, of course, what is the definition of design? And we know when we come into organizations and we ask the executive team, we ask 20 people, what is the definition of design? We often get 18 different answers. So, okay, a problem there. If everyone's not aligned, you're already heading in different directions. But as a professional and your understanding of, of design, of, of what it is and where it's come, what we'd like to know from your perspective, Urian, is what do you see as the biggest opportunities for the future role of design in the coming years or the coming decade? Where, where is design headed, in your opinion? So it's interesting, right? So for me, design has most value and it's really linked to company strategy. And it can actually be used to set company strategy. So once you start using design, problem solving, visualization to actually develop a, you know, a strategy for your company, then I think you're really going to get to the, to the next level. And it's interesting because I'm not sure if you want to put this in your podcast, but it's just like this, this is my opinion because I might call some names. My thing is what I always was surprised about is when, when I was at Velcro, our biggest competitor was 3M. And if I look at 3M and I look at the design resources they have available to them, which is literally hundreds of people you know, in different design centers sprinkled around the world, but then I go to their website or I go to the Home Depot and I look at their products. I'm just wondering, like, you know, when are we going to see input or output from those, all those designers into my world, right? When am I going to see the next really cool command range? When am I going to see an amazing website experience, right? When am I going to see actually an amazing customer experience from 3M. And that's kind of like, so I think, you know, I mean, there are a lot of companies who invest heavily into design, but it's not showing, right? And I'm, I'm still think because they might, design might not still not have a seat at the table. I still think we have difficulties explaining the value it can bring to the organization, right? Why should you invest in it and how do you use it? And, you know, to be honest, Design can be very uncomfortable, right? Because very often you try to push the boundaries. You try to, to show organizations where they could go, where they're not yet, right? And that means change. And change is uncomfortable. So it's, um, I think it's still, that's, that's one of the big challenges I think you will have, we will all have as designers, is to show the real value design can bring. And I think it starts with setting design uh, strategy. Uh, helping to set strategy and then visualizing that strategy and deploying it across all the different touch points. Because for me, it's always like this, right? I mean, if you don't have a product, you have no company. And the product, if you have a great product, that product needs to be, that product needs to be designed. Somebody has to make it, right? And if you want to make it great or bad, you still need a product. I would go for a great product instead of a bad product. But you know, so if you have a great product, but then how do you create a whole ecosystem around that product 
to really bring it to the market. And for me, that's kind of like, you know, how do you create roles within larger organizations that people actually know that design is all about creating this custom experience? And for me, it's kind of like very often design is managed by brand managers. I would love to see it reversed and that the brand managers actually would report up to the design. Because if you start with a customer, you want to be a customer-focused company, that's where design starts. Design is all about creating amazing experiences for your customer. Absolutely. And not to digress too much, but we start to see some, some shift in the industry going back to your 3M uh, example. We know that the, the chief design officer who actually just exited was uh, his last year's actually uh, chief brand officer as well. So that's exciting. We see the connection. We also see what Kimberly Clark, the function was brand design. So already together. So helping to elude the fact that design can help drive and deliver those customer experiences. And, and, and it's such a cliche, right? But I mean, I think if you look at companies like Apple, because everybody always wants to be the next Apple and want to look at Apple. Hold on a second. So if you, if you, you know, if it's a cliche, right? Everybody wants to be Apple and everybody wants to be the next Apple. But the, for me, the question is always like, why do they want to be the next Apple, right? Because what did Steve Jobs do? He was, there was all design led. That was so consumer and design-led, everything, right? Every little piece, whether it's the products and the packaging and the logo and the communication and the buildings and the culture, you know, that was all designed, right? Then everybody wants to be the next design, uh, the next Apple, but what they do is just like, I want to have a cool product like Apple. But that's not the thing. It was not the product that made Apple cool. It was, of course, the whole philosophy about, you know, creating amazing products and an amazing, consistent brand experience. If you want to be the next Apple, then you also really have to, you know, commit to that. And then you have to make sure that it's really design driven from the top. Now, it's going to be difficult because some of the designers might not be interested in business, right? Because I think I was interested in business. And I think that's why, you know, it, it was just a great combination because I wanted to be more involved in strategy. I wanted to decide where, you know, where the company was going. And then you can, you know, support it with design work. If you have designers, there are a lot of designers, they don't care. They just want to continue to make amazing products and amazing, you know, they, they get excited about a new color, right? And that's all they care about. That's great. So then, you know, you have to also the right, the right combination of business acumen, business interest, and of course, design capabilities to really steer it. If you don't speak the, the language of business, then it's not going to work either. Right? So you need to speak the language. And that's going back to what I said before with the education. You need kind of like, you know, you have, you have your ticket. You need to know how to present yourself and how to win, uh, how to argue and how to win others over for your ideas. And it's not just because this product looks so great and that's why I think we should launch it. It's like, this is the business case. This is how it's going to drive profit, revenue, engagement, loyalty, all the buzzwords. Yeah, I can only echo that a thousand percent as we have our uh, education service. And that's exactly what we do. We, we're teaching designers the business of design, right? So how do you communicate to the business? It's not the, the, the what as far as the, uh, the product or experience. It's about the value they bring. So, but it is uncomfortable for some, as you said, some designers don't want to learn business. But we see also as you grow through your career, going back to your journey at some point, as we say, you kind of hit the fork in the road where you you have to start to take more responsibilities for people's, for budgets, for, for business growth, or find the companies where you can become that rock star, you know, that, that, that specialist where you can still, uh, at Lego, we always say, you, you know, the guy who makes the Star Wars sets because you can point him out in a crowd, right? 
Mm -hmm. For most of us, I think moving the needle, we have to embrace business a little bit more. Curious to know, as design is growing up and taking on a lot more responsibilities, we're very passionate about something that uh, some refer to as the triple bottom line. Uh, we call it in our organization, Design for Humanity. So in addition to helping support the business with, with revenue and growth, also you know, looking and paying attention to and uh, factoring in things around the environment, uh, sustainability around society, social responsibility, et cetera. So I know also, as you mentioned before, you're in a private family company now that, that maybe affords a little bit more of that in a typical maybe short-term shareholder gains. But what's your thoughts on design helping to kind of take on some of these more complex or, as we say, the wicked problems in the world through a design approach? Yeah, if it's, if it's not design, I don't know who's going to do it. And that's the, the reason for why I'm saying that is designers are very much outside in. It's like trying to connect impossible dots and bringing that to practical solutions. And so it's, it's less about you know, being focused on I need to design my next whatever uh, packaging formulation, but it's kind of like, how do I, you know, I want to reduce the impact on the environment. I want to tell it also as a great story. And it's not only reducing the impact on the environment, but I also want to have a increased uh, customer experience, right? So then you go out there, then you go out there and say like, you know, how do other companies do that? What are some adjacent industries doing? What kind of new materials are out there? And not new materials that we've ever made. It's just like, what kind of different materials are out there? And if we can't make it, then we have to find another way how we're going to in integrate those into the product solutions we're going to get to, right? So I always think that, you know, designers used to be very resourceful and not afraid of experimentation and not afraid to look outside of their normal boundaries to get inspiration. And because of inspiration, you start connecting those different dots and then they come up with very surprising solutions. And, you know, having then the ability to visualize that and hopefully also to, to tell a story around it, that is for me where if it's not design, I don't know who, who else is going to do it within the organization. I don't see a traditional marketing person coming up with something like that, right? I don't see a traditional engineer coming up with something like that. I think it's really the designer who has to come up with a vision about, you know, how do we, how do we push the boundaries and how do we look at all the stakeholders and how we can have a positive impact on all of them. Yeah. Well, that's uh, very encouraging, but also maybe uh, uh, very intimidating as well for the design community, right? Because I, I love what you said. And of course, I would echo that if, if not design, who, who else? But, uh, you know, I, I think as we see in the world with uh, the transparency and, and, uh, and the responsibility that it is a design that might uh, help to, to fill some gaps there, right? Yeah. Jürgen, you've, you've had a really amazing journey from, from your early days to your current role as CGO, and, and we expect to see great things ahead for the current company you're with and, and growth and customer experience and, and all those wonderful things that design and also business can bring. Uh, just closing for the listeners, is there any advice that you can give in general for those that are wanting to advance their career in design leadership or to help to elevate design in their organizations? Well, for me... When you're a designer within the organization, I think the first thing you need to ask yourself is like, you know, what is it really what drives you, right? If you're really passionate about design because you just love the design and the design process and creating products, then, you know, don't get into the management of things because if you love just to tinker around and make, you know, great products, then focus on that and become really strong on, on that part. If you think like, okay, I like the design, but 
I want to be more involved in the business and I actually want to manage people, by example, then you know, start thinking about a career path where either you, you, you further educate yourself to speak the language of where you want to go to, right? And, and you know, take some, 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 some gambles, right? So take some chances because you know, that's what I did. I went from being a designer and we, I had like a great career at that time to actually resign uh, assign, uh, you know, enroll to an MBA full time, and then actually start from the bottom in, in brand management. Right? That was, you know, you can't, you can't, you know, you can't do that. Well, you can always do it, probably, but I think it's going to be, you know, these are some. You, know, you sometimes you have to be mostly crazy if you want to do that because it's a, it's a risk. You know, you don't know if it works. Right? So I think my my, my advice would be to really understand where your true passions lie, and you know which path you want to follow. And, but I also think, you know, the other thing is like, you know, you also need to prove yourself first in whatever role you are in, right? So, you know, sometimes you have the problem that people want to get to a next level and then reach the next level. They're already thinking of how do I get to the next level? And for me, it's kind of like, well, let's first prove yourself in that level and that role and that function. And once you really excel in that, then we can look further how you can, you know, continue to contribute to the rest of the organization and expand your reach and bring more value to the organization. Right, so I think it's a lot about understanding where your strengths are, understanding where your where your interest lies, and then finding creative ways how to how to get there, but not being afraid of actually taking some chances. Yeah, that would be in short my advice. Right. Well, I just and, and, and the other one, and the other one for me actually, sorry to 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 build on that one is like, you know, you need to change, right? And that's that's I think that's it's not going to happen if you sit still, sit still, and just wait wait to, for it to happen to you. You know, you need to be proactive and you need to get out there, right? So you need networking is important. For me, it was jumping to different industries and different companies because every, every role I was, I could build on my previous experience, but had to really hardcore learn about that new role and that new business. Then, then when you got to the next one, you brought like way more experience with you. And then you implemented that to the next role, but you were also learning again within, within that role, right? And, you know, for me personally, I don't think I would be there where I am today if I would not have, like, jumped those different companies and also jumped those different countries, right? I've worked in Switzerland, Italy, France, Spain, uh, and now in the U.S. And I think every experience has just made me, have brought, has brought me more different experience and has, you know, has helped me to grow within, within the current, uh, you know, role I am in today. Yeah, that's uh, wonderful insights. Uh, as you said, uh, taking advantage of the experiences, international experiences, industry experiences, and becoming this kind of a cross-disciplined person. So we want to thank you for taking the time to, to share with uh, the design leadership community your journey, uh, your advice, and um, hope that the listeners uh, take some key nuggets away that they can apply in their own journey to help uh, drive great design experiences and business growth moving forward. Um, yes. on that note, thank you so much, Jürgen, and uh, we look forward to speaking with you down the road. My pleasure, and I'm pretty sure to see you again soon, Jay. All right. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this session of the Design Leadership Podcast. I do hope that you gained some valuable insights and inspiration to help further you along in your path in design leadership. If you would like to learn more on how myself and my colleagues have helped to empower design leaders for the past 22 years through consulting, coaching, educating, 
and uniting design leaders across the globe, please check out our suite of services found online at empowering.design. I wish you the best of success in your design leadership journey and pursuit of design excellence. Be well and stay safe.